Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today we are talking about unreliable narrators, and I am joined by author of the recent The Palm Bearers Club, Mr. Paul Tremblay. So welcome to the show. Thank you. So happy to be here or be back. You know, I yeah. guess you know, I did it a while ago. I forget which book, but yeah, I'm often unreliable. <laughs> and thank you for being so flexible in our, our schedule for this. Oh, of course. Yeah, you were here for Cabin at the End of the World. That was like the early days, early days of the show. And so thank you for agreeing to come back on. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Happy to be here. So would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about the Paul Bears Club? Yeah, sure. I'm so I'm terrible. I, I don't have like a elevator pitch, so it'll be a little bit rambly. But anyway, the book is presented as the fond memoir of a Gen Xer. And the first line of the book is, uh, he writes, I am not Art Barbara, but that's what he calls himself throughout the book. You know, when he tells you, like, you know, this is a memoir, I've changed all the names, etc. And hints to maybe some weird supernatural stuff going on. But the book really opens up in the late 80s when he's a senior in high school, doesn't have really any friends, and he has bad scoliosis and bad acne. So, you know, he definitely is yearning for some sort of change. Um, and in a panic, he figures out, oh, if I'm going to leave this place and go to college, I actually need some sort of extracurricular activity. So he starts what's, what he calls the Paul Bearers Club, where he volunteers at a local funeral home to serve elderly uh, and homeless that don't have many or any living relatives, which is a very sweet thing to do, but also dead people, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, rife for a horror story. So he, a couple of Classmates join, but they, they don't last very long. And then an older, strange older woman joins. He's not sure. Maybe she's college age. He, he can't tell. Um, and she has like this. She's a punk fan and she has this weird penchant to take Polaroid pictures of living and dead. <laughs> uh, anyway, so this this woman he names Mercy. They have this strange on again, off again, sometimes <laughs> sometimes toxic friendship that lasts over over 30 years. And so Mercy may or may not be a supernatural figure from uh, a unique corner of New England folklore. I really liked that element when that was introduced. I, I really liked the, the story and the way it was laid out. And I just noticed this the other day, but on the hardcover. I mean, I don't know why I'm showing you. You know what the hardcover looks like, and our listeners aren't going to see it. But <laughs> it says the Paul Bears Club by Art Barbara, and it's crossed out, and it says by Paul Tremblay, which is a fun little, yeah, it's a fun little Easter egg. I'm, you know, so happy and pleased that, you know, the publisher really went, uh, you know, pulled all the stops on the on the hardcover, on the physical sort of pre presentation of the book, because there is a unique interior design element to the story where, you know, I mentioned the book's a found memoir. Well, Mercy is the one who found it, this woman he names Mercy, and she comments at the end of each chapter, and she also can't help herself and writes notes in the margins. But, you know, and the hardcover is published that way, and including, like, that's in red ink, which is a lot of fun. That was a fun little element. And um, I read it physically, and then I also listened to it as an audiobook, and it also really worked that way with the dual narrators and her kind of chiming in here and there what was it like writing that like did you write all of art's part first kind of knowing where she would interject i mean what is that writing process like you know i kind of i i would stop in the middle while i was writing to add her comment to me that was kind of the fun of it like and I, you know i'm not a writer that can like skip ahead and write like other sections so i always i always feel like i have to go in the order in which i think it's going to happen that doesn't mean like i might not move stuff around later but no, for me, that was actually sort of the fun part of the writing is she got to be the editor and my doubts <laughs> in all those things. 
and you know calling me on my own bullshit sometimes getting that like for me like to get to put that into the the margins as i was typing you know the rest of the story i don't know that was like a kind of fun thing to do that was fun i kind of wondered that because it would be like her making fun of turns of phrase or like words used like really yeah i mean some of it is you know if we're talking unreliable narrators i kind of got to squeeze i think two into this book mm-hmm. um you know so part of it was the idea that hey you know you know, depending on how many levels we go through besides the characters, but like in a way it's me, the writer, letting the reader know, I sort of know that, you know, some of art's writing is really kind of ridiculous. Um, or I should say ridiculous, but overboard and maudlin and stuff like that. And that's part of Mercy's uh, role is to, you know, to sort of cut that because I think if it was just art story, it would be a little hard to take at times. <laughs> <laughs> she does add a little bit of, of levity and fun to the story and also kind of like what which i feel like is a theme in a lot of your books like what is real what is happening what is the truth what happened yeah definitely an obsession of mine i mean uh i did it for like three novels in a row head full of ghosts disappearance of devil's rock and you mentioned cabinet at the end of the world and then survivor song I, I knew i can't do the what's real what's not real all the time so that was a little bit of a break but <laughs> It only lasted for one book. We're back story, at it. Yeah, this story sort of landed <laughs> in my lap and it's like, okay, <laughs> these are the things I'm obsessed with. So I'm just going to stick yeah. with it for now. Oh, I did have uh, one Patreon supporter had two questions. Um, Daniel wanted to know how you feel or what is your involvement level in the Knock at the Cabin adaptation coming out or that people might not know Cabin at the End of the World. Right. Yeah, so as you mentioned, it's being adapted by M. Night Shyamalan uh, under a different title, Knock at the Cabin. Um, and it's supposed to be out February 3rd. You know, oh, I think wow. that's the date they have in hand. You know, they finished filming in early June. Um, so the event, uh, the extent of my involvement was I wrote the book. <laughs> Although I will say, like, he asked me for uh, some points of clarity at times, which is kind of interesting. You're asking me, like, where I got the ideas for the weapons and, you know, other stuff like that. And I, I did get to visit set for two days, which was amazing. Oh, yeah? Just, you know, meeting the actors, like, you know, David Batista as Leonard. Uh, he's oh, wow. ginormous. He's <laughs> <laughs> my height, but with another 60 pounds of muscle. Uh, and actually, it should be more like he's my height with 260 pounds of muscle. I'm my height with no muscle. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the other actors, you know, Jonathan Groff, uh, Ben Aldridge, Nikki Am- Amuka Bird, uh, and, and a few, you know, a few others, you know, just... They were so nice and they had read the book and they were really sweet and said nice stuff about it. So, yeah, I mean, obviously the movie, there, there's going to be differences uh, to the novel, but uh, I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a beautifully filmed, beautifully acted, super intense, super intense experience. I think people have no idea about the book when they see it. They're going to be like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So the book was a an intense experience. So I'm sure if it's anything like that, I'm going to be stressing out and pulling my hair out so even knowing what's coming yeah well we'll see how well how like I like i think you know the third act is the first two acts i could pretty much you know stick close if not the book and then the third act yeah definitely goes in a different twisty direction so if you've read the book you know you won't spoil the movie i guess is all i guess is what i'm saying Ooh, okay all right so i'm not gonna go in like fully knowing what's gonna happen right and she wanted to know if you had any ideas of who you would cast in a, a head full of ghost adaptation. Oh, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm so terrible at that. Like, because like when I write, like I, I picture these characters as certain people, not necessarily actual people. So I never really sit around and 
I wish I did. I wish I knew more actors and by name to people say, hey, this is who should be who, you know. Um, yeah, so I don't know. That, that's that's a hard question. I think I spend more time thinking about, oh, I wish I could do the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, it would be great for, you know, for someone to, you know, that I really enjoy to direct it. So I, I can say that that movie has a new director, a new screenwriter, and I'm excited because they're putting more of the book back in. Okay. Uh, early iterations of that screenplay didn't have the reality TV element, which seems like a big mistake. But yeah. but the new the newest version will. Um, yeah, so I'm excited. I think I think it'll be a you know if it happens, I think it'll be pretty cool. That is exciting. That was one of my favorite parts. So I'm glad to hear that it's back in. And yeah, I feel like I do that when I read books. Like I mentally cast people, but it's always like, but this character, but from the '90s, like the '90s version of him. I don't know people now. Yeah, I mean, like Shira Lipkin is that her? Am I saying her name right? Is too old, I think, at this point to play like Marjorie. Otherwise, like when she was like a, a teenager, you know, she would have been perfect. Or you know, um, yeah, I know for the parents. Yeah, I, I just don't have any. Yeah, <laughs> don't have any go-to. Sorry. All right, it's all cool. So we are talking about unreliable narrators today. And in the podcast, we usually talk about what are some movies, before we get into books, what are some movies that also fit into this category that people might be familiar with? So um, I'm going to stick with two recent ones. And one, like people, you know, if they've listened to me and anything else before, are probably used to me blabbing about this movie. But one is uh, Lake Mungo mm-hmm. uh, from, two, I think it's 2008, Australian movie. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies. I'm very much obsessed with it. I could be rightly criticized or <laughs> as having written Lake Mungo fan fiction with disappearance at Devil's Rock, but that's okay. Um, and, and the cool part about that, like the unreliable narration is because there are so many modes within that movie um, of like, so the, the movie centers around a, a 15 year old girl drowns and it's really the rest of the movie is the aftermath of her family, her parents and her, her brother dealing with the grief, but they start making discoveries about, what had happened in uh, in the daughter's life previously, um, and you know, there's maybe evidence that might she might be sort of a ghostly presence coming back, and the and the brother sets up cameras, and you start seeing images, but that gets undercut. So you're really just sort of until like the final moments moments of the film, which I would never dream of spoiling because when I saw it for the first time, it's a very quiet movie, but th- there's a scene that like utterly just terrified me. <laughs> To the point where I had to break away from the movie, like it was so, like because I stupidly watched it at home when everyone was asleep in the dark at like midnight. Uh, I had to like look at my phone just to, you know, tear because I knew the what made it scary is you knew you could see from a distance something was coming and you knew it was going to be horrible and it just the way it shot it just keeps coming and it doesn't stop and it feels like it takes forever and like my whole body just started like you know chilling and, and freaking out and anyway. Um, but even with all that, like at the end, it's still like, you're not quite sure what you just saw. Was this like a fake, you know, this is presented as a mock documentary. So yeah, there's a lot of wonderful unreliability, mm-hmm. uh, bits to it. And I, I'd say the last part of it, it, what makes it feel unreliable is that it feels so grounded and real. Like the way that I didn't realize until recently, there was a, uh, a, a Blu-ray put up by a UK company recently that had a lot of extras and they, and they talked about how the director, use all these different film modes, like depending on the year, like if they're looking at home movies, they use that actual camera. Uh, and like, there's a really key scene that uses like one of the first phone cameras. So it's very pixelated. You said they tried to replicate some of those older modes, but it just looked fake. So like everything was shot on, like what would have been the camera from that time? And it was like all those moments of oh, cool. reality 
actually make it more seem like unreliable in a way. I really liked it. I watched it because I heard you talk about it so much and heard you talk about it on Twitter. And I finally saw it was available, I want to say on Shudder a few years ago. Yeah, and I saw it for the first time. And yeah, between after me crying then was terrified at that scene. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a powerful movie for sure. I mean, I would have to add Gone Girl. I know it's a book adaptation, but I remember even just I read that sneaked we read it at work in my little cubicle and when it's revealed that we were dealing with an unreliable narrator for the first half I almost fell out of my chair I think that reveal is like hits you <laughs> yeah and I appreciate doing it at that point in the movie too as opposed to like at the end because that can feel like a cheap not that Twilight Zone is cheap but like a cheap twist I mean it can be done it can be done so it like re sort of calculate recalibrates everything that happened before but i think it's the fun of doing it in the middle because now you have oh now what like now what you know yeah now what's going to happen now that we know this yeah so another uh um recent movie uh a recent favorite is called saint maud uh it was put out by a24 rose glass wrote and directed it i think she was i think that was her first feature um and like I suppose you could describe it as almost like a, a complete inversion of a exorcisms or a possession story. It's what if this character is actually possessed by God and not the other way around. Um, and it's all from the point of view of, of, of a nurse character who ends up taking care of uh, sort of a bohemian artist in her last days fighting cancer. Um, and the nurse is very religious and sort of judgy of what, <laughs> of what, you know, this, this artist does. And I don't want to say too much more, but like, it's a fairly simple premise, but the way it's told and the way it's shot is just really uh, compelling. And I could not take my eyes off the screen from the first frames. And the last frame of the movie literally took my breath away. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I really loved St. Maude, too. Yeah, it's kind of hard to talk about. Like, you just kind of have yeah, to experience yeah. it. Like it's, you know, it's slow in some ways. You're really with this character throughout the whole movie, so you're not quite sure, you know, is there something supernatural happening? Is there not? Is it? You know, all in her mm-hmm. head, which is, you know, can be kind of a trope, but it feels so fresh and new in this movie. Yeah, because there are things that make it seem like maybe there is something religious going on. Maybe the woman she's caring for is coming to her side and kind of seeing what she's seeing. Right. That it was a fantastic ending. I mean, I think people for the next one, I think people tend to think of Fight Club. But I'm going to go uh, Atonement because that was a movie that made me like throw stuff out the wall. I mean, in a good way, in a way that you are meant to be upset with what has transpired and what has been revealed but um i tried to read the adaptation and no shade to ian McEwen because he's a good writer but i was like no knowing where this story is going i can't put myself through this right now okay you know i've never seen it or read it i <laughs> oh. should change that yeah oh yeah it's a beautiful movie yeah this episode is brought to you by libro fm libro fm is the first and only company which lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best. Booksellers. I mean, and us. We also have a playlist on there full of books that have been recommended on this podcast. 
Books in the Freezer special offer, you get two audiobooks for the price of one, just $14.99, with your first month of membership using code FREEZERBOOK. This offer is valid for new members in Canada and the United States. Thank you, Libro FM, for supporting the show. Are we ready to talk about some books? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. All right, I'll start off with Boy Parts by Eliza Clark. This one got really big on TikTok. Like I, I saw it everywhere and everyone called it uh, American Psycho for the girlies. But it's about a woman named Irina who is a successful photographer from Newcastle. And she scouts kind of average looking men to take pictures of them. And... There are these very strange kind of exploitative pictures and she's placed on a sabbatical from her bartending job. The novel opens up with uh, a mother coming in, one of her models, and uh, slapping the shit out of her because her son was a minor and she did not know that when he signed all the waivers. So the novel opens up with just that level of chaos. Uh, She's placed on a sabbatical and then she gets offered this exhibition at this very prestigious London gallery because of the level of her work. This triggers a self-destructive tailspin. And just, she is a fascinating narrator. Just the way she views the world. And she is so mean and snarky in a way that you like laugh along with her and you kind of like snicker at the criticisms that she, that she levels at people. But she is very cruel and an interesting unreliable narrator in that she's in denial about a lot of things going on in her life and she has this toxic friendship with this girl that she's just so mean to and the girl is like still in love with her and writes these very earnest blog posts about every interaction they have together so you do get kind of like another another point of view of how someone sees Irina Um, and then she becomes really obsessed with this boy named Eddie that works at Tesco's and you see what she does when she scouts these men and has them pose for her just she kind of uses this as a moment for like power and control and just kind of pushing it and see how far they'll go and she kind of asks like are you are you okay is this okay but just kind of as a just being in her head is wild Um, Uh, which sounds amazing what's the the title of it again because I have not read it Boy Parts by Eliza Clark. She's just like a fascinating character and she's like obsessed with uh, extreme cinema. So it's like her friend wants to hang out and she's like, let's watch a rom-com. She's like, no, we're watching Solo, 120 Days. I do think if you're a British reader, you're probably going to get a little more out of it because I've heard a lot of British reviewers say like, oh, the slang is spot on. Like it is exactly how people from Newcastle talk and it touches a lot on issues and how people from that area are taken in because she's supposed to be like this high class person from Newcastle but she goes to school in London and everyone still kind of looks down on her and that's kind of like a new experience for her so it's like different stuff that might go over like that I didn't catch but that British readers were like oh no it's spot on Uh, that's great I got to visit Newcastle I I fell in love with it I thought it was wonderful and actually there's a part of my novel Survivor song that ends up in Newcastle idea for the book while I was in England but yeah (laughs) the the Newcastle sort of uh Geordie uh, accents were very difficult to <laughs> to parse for you know for this American. Um, I did a signing in Newcastle and there was a, a teenage girl who went. She asked me to sign, you know, asked me to sign a book and she said her name and I couldn't understand what she said, so I asked her to spell it. And she said A, so I wrote. I think I wrote A or E, and then she said A, and I thought it was the same letter. She's like, no, A. Luckily, I had a, a British friend next to me and he told me how to to to, to, to spell what she was saying. <laughs> At this book, I do want to do the audiobook. Um, Eliza Clark reads it herself, and she does have a, a Newcastle accent, so I think that would 
add a little bit. Oh, I love listening to audiobooks with British accents. I yeah. I'm, okay, I am sold. <laughs> I'm sold for like both <laughs> the book and the audiobook. This is exciting. I would say this is like a room temperature fridge book. It's not something that's gonna freak you out, but I think there's just stuff about her that will get under your skin. Yeah. So putting it in the fridge. That is Boy Parts by Eliza Clark. Nice. All right, so I guess I'll start with Sarah Grand's Come Closer. Just because you were talking about the rating, I'm going to say it's definitely full freezer. (laughs) You will be freaked out by this book. I need to reread the book. It's been a long time since I've read it. But it's, you know, first person, as told from the point of view of Amanda, who, you know, thinks she may be possessed and partly because she takes like a a mysterious book about possession shows up at her apartment after she, she does kind of like an awful thing at work. So right at the beginning, you're not sure what to think of this narrator. Like, did she do like leave this weird note by mistake or did she not leave it at all? Not remember leaving it. And then somewhere through the narrative, uh, like this weird possession book shows up on her doorstep and it has like a quiz on it. And it says, you know, if you take the quiz, it'll tell you if you're possessed. And of course, like one of the things that she's been hearing is little raps in the walls. And that's one of the signs you know, so as you go deeper into the book, um, you know, it's you just don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely shades towards like you definitely think she's possessed. But at the same time, I don't know. Like I, when I finished reading it, I just felt totally unmoored. I wasn't sure what was or wasn't happening with Amanda or who exactly she was. And to me, that's always like the most frightening types of books. So it's a, sh- a super quick read. It's, you know, it's only about 200 pages um you know like most people you would like once you start reading you're just gonna have to spend a few hours until you get to the end kind of thing i agree that book freaked me out i think it was recently reissued in in england if i if i'm correct but i don't think there's an issue getting it in the u.s but that that book was you know with a new cover and everything else and and sarah grand's just a genius in general if you haven't read her read anything by her uh she has a new book out this year called the most precious substance it's a really wild mix of like a book about people who love books, but also like weird sex magic stuff. And it feels like Clive Barker, but it also it's all like Sarah Grant at times. I don't, I just, sorry. I'm like the most articulate person. <laughs> no, that's how Sarah Grant leaves most of us, I think. Yeah. <laughs> just, just speechless. Yes. Um, but yeah, I Come Closer was a book, like I think early when I started reading horror that just like really got under my skin. And I think, yeah, definitely one of the, what I think of as like, yeah, one of the best like unreliable narrator stories because you just have no idea what is going on. And she just does so she does a great job at balancing the like, it could be this, but this also says this, but this also says this. So I don't know. I think part of her genius in the book, too, is like she sort of like implicates the reader on the unreliability, like even that like quiz, the 10 question quiz. I think if you look at it really closely if if anyone were to take the quiz, I think the answer would be yes. So, I mean, which, which sort of makes it, you know, gives yeah. it a level of creep. <laughs> yeah. All right. My next pick is Tinfoil Butterfly by Rachel E. Moulton. This starts out with a woman named Emma who is stranded on the side of the road in the Black Hills. Uh, she has a van that is out of gas, a loaded gun, and there's an incoming snowstorm. So this is where we are when we start the story. She's prepared, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Sure, sure. Also, I know a lot of people do the like 50 horror books from 50 states and South Dakota is a hard one. So here you go. Okay, nice. (laughs) 
So she pulls over at an abandoned diner to help where she meets a boy named Earl who is wearing a tinfoil mask. He immediately steals her gun and asks her to help get rid of George, who is his stepfather. And it becomes this really high stakes survival situation. Um, But with what we know about Emma and the kind of person she is, there's so much that comes into question. And I think until closer to the end where we kind of as the reader get transported into flashbacks and kind of see like what it is that she's been hinting about and what it is that she's gone through that kind of places her at the beginning of the story in the situation that she's in. It just is such a mind-bending book. It's very dark and very surreal. I think there was just a lot on the the nature of evil. And this was a book, I don't know, I just feel like I have thought about a lot. Did I fully like, uh, I don't, I'm like, it's one of those books when I read it, I'm like, did I fully understand, I think, like, everything I read? I don't know. I don't know that I would put money on that. I think in a book that really uh, got under my skin. So I would say definitely fridge it was very tense i mean just even the the situation and everything that is explored and then just what you find out about her and what she's gone through i think also adds to it it was very atmospheric very claustrophobic i mean people stuck in a deadly situation trapped in a snowstorm i mean is is enough uh but i would say that's another book i'll have to go back and read um like i mentioned to you in our email chain that uh I'm, i'm reading her an arc of her new book called the insatiable volt sisters uh and man it's wild it's really really good but uh it's really sort of hard to describe and it involves like an island in one of the great lakes maybe being run by like a family of male monsters oh. um, but it centers around these two sisters and <clears throat> one of the more like complicated and, and fascinating sister relationship books that i've ever read Oh, interesting. I hadn't even heard of this. And I just released like my upcoming releases <laughs> in 2022. Or is it coming out next year? I think, it, yeah, I think it's probably 2023. Okay. Yeah. At this I was point. like, yeah. I missed it. Great. Yeah. No, I definitely am in on the early read of this, which I'm okay. very happy to have. Yeah. All right, so that is Tinfoil Butterfly by Rachel. The next two choices are, are um, I don't want to say they're self-serving, but they're two of the books that inspired my head full of ghosts. The first one is going to be Stuart Ornan's The Speed Queen, which is probably the less read of the other two, uh, or of the other one that I'll mention as my third choice. But Stuart Ornan's The Speed Queen is written as an interview, essentially, a really long interview. And the, the main character, Marjorie, uh, she may or may not have been a willing participant in a, a, a Starkweather-esque murder spree. Uh, uh, Charlie Starkwater, I think his first name is Charlie. Him and his girlfriend went through like Nebraska, I think it was, and killed, I guess, like a bunch of different gas station attendants, et cetera, just like went on a spree. So it, it's a similar spree, sort of loosely based on it. But anyway, Marjorie's basically on death row and she's answering questions from Stephen King. <laughs> uh, it never says right out, I am Stephen King, but you can tell by the questions, how he phrases the questions and even mentions his books. Oh, like this is Stephen King interviewing, <laughs> uh, you know, this de- a woman who's a death row inmate. Um, and she's clearly not telling the whole story. And the humor, the like the dark, sly humor with which she does it is just so utterly compelling. Um, and it and even skin crawling at times, just like how manipulative she is and how smart she is. Um, and how at, maybe at the beginning you're sort of, you know, on her side, sympathy wise, like maybe she wasn't. Yeah, but by the end, you're not sure, like, was she the driving force behind everything? And it's just uh, I don't know, a wonderful, like, you know, messes with your head <laughs> kind of novel. Uh, and it's 
I don't know, so hard to do. It really, it's really, I would say it's more of like it, it mixes like a thriller as opposed to horror. So I'd say room temperature. I don't think you're going to feel too frightened, but you are going to be appalled by what <laughs> what Marjorie and her boyfriend do. And and I think if that book came out now, people would be, I mean, when it came out in the late 90s, you know, people, you know, really appreciate it. But I think if it came out now where everyone is so obsessed with true crime novels, this is really sort of, I think, a perfect, let's call it like a unreliable narrator true crime story. Um, would I think if it came out now would be how it would be pitched. I have not even heard of this one. Okay. And I've read Stuart Onan before, so Yeah, you gotta find to that one. <laughs> yeah, he's from he's from Pittsburgh, I think. Yes. He, Where I yeah, am right from now. Pittsburgh originally. He lives there now. <laughs> he he lived in New England for a while, but yeah, he's back in Pittsburgh. I think I did see him when Anthony Bourdain came to town. He talked to Stuart Onan and John Fetterman, so yeah, amazing. Stuart, I, I, <laughs> I had no idea that he, uh, Stuart and I, you know, friends. I had no idea. Someone emailed me. I was like, oh, I just watched the Bernie Stuart and Ann episode. I was like, what? <laughs> I didn't know that happened. <laughs> I, I'll have to check it out. I mean, I've read um, Songs for the Missing and Last Night at the Lobster by him and really enjoyed, really thoroughly enjoyed both. So. Oh, like, so you've missed his horror ones then. Like, so I Speed Queen yeah, is I like adjacent. Know. His first novel, A Prayer for the Dying, is one of the most... Uh, disturbing, <laughs> beautiful books that you'll ever read. Uh, and it's written in second person. Again, very short. Uh-huh. It takes place in like 1860s Wisconsin. I'm oh, sorry, my dog is barking at someone <laughs> pouring water. <laughs> um, yeah, harrowing. And then he has one called uh, The October Country, which is very much a ghost story that riffs on Ray Bradbury stuff. But again, like just an emotional gut punch of a novel. So mm, okay. if you haven't read Onan before, you should read Speed Queen, A Prayer for the Dying, and um, if, for horror fans out there, and yeah. um, the October Country. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the two I read were not horror at all. Still good though. Oh, no, he's great. <laughs> yeah. Last Night of the Lobster is about like a a red lobster that's about to close down. For listeners that have are not familiar, it is yeah. There's like a snowstorm coming, and it's like the last night this red lobster is going to be open, and you're just following like the the workers that work there as they're like just trying to get through this last shift. No, and it's like it's so compelling and yeah, and touching. It and really is. Yeah. All right. Well, I will move on to my final pick, and that is Night of the Mannequins by Stephen Graham Jones. Yes. This novella was so much fun, and I am going to be very careful with how I speak about it because it is such a story that you just have to read. And at 135 pages, it's it's not a big time commitment, and just you need to read it for yourself and enjoy it. So I don't want to spoil anything, but I will say this opens up with a group of kids. They are planning this prank at a movie theater and they are bringing this mannequin. But the prank goes wrong and the kids in this group start to die. There is a question as to whether this mannequin has come to life to enact uh, its revenge or whether there is something else going on. And just the voice that this novel, this novella is written in was so well crafted and so unforgettable. I think it is just amazing. Again, I can't say too much. You just have to read it. And if you read it, you know what I'm talking about. It's a fridge book. It's a it's a fun summer slasher. Just go read it. Yeah, I agree. It's wonderful. In the it early, I won't describe the scene, but early on, like I thought I knew it was sort of going, like within the first like 10, 20 pages. Then there's a scene in the in the movie theater that I was like, oh, okay, this is something else. And yeah. it really just sort of. It was, I mean, he's a wonderful writer, a favorite 
Yeah. Um, and yes, I highly recommend that one as well. So that is Night of the Mannequins by Stephen Graham Jones. Uh, so my third and final pick uh, is We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. It's really not a scary book. Yeah, I, we'd call it room temperature, right? But it's just, again, like like so much of Jackson's stuff, it's just so, you know, there's unease and you're not quite sure what's going on. And there's this level of humor, too, that I think not enough people talk about <laughs> her sense of humor um, and just sense of strength, you know, taking the mundane and make it seem strange. Um, and obviously, Shirley Jack, the, the the opening paragraph of The Haunting of Hill House is often read. But I think the opening paragraph of We Have Always Lived in the Castle in terms of how it just perfectly uh, encapsulates who Mary is, what she sounds like at the start of this book. And Mary is a younger sister. Um, and within the first paragraph, she mentions something about a sign of being a werewolf is like the length of one finger, you know, being compared to the other one. Um, and so the whole story is told from her point of view and some, something terrible had happened befallen her family that lives in this old ancestral house and the rest of the town doesn't want anything to do with her family. You know, something, her parents had died in, in mysterious circumstances. They were, they were poisoned. Um, you know, Noam ended up ever being arrested, but like, obviously the townspeople think like Mary's older, they think Mary's older sister had killed the parents. And, you know, I don't want to say too much more, but like, again, as we've been talking, you know, about all these different unreliable narratives that, that sort of really wonderful sense as a reader of being unmoored and being willing you know, to, to go with that feeling. And I mean, it's easy with, with Jackson. She just sort of carries you the whole time that way. Yes. I love that book. And she is so interesting as a narrator i mean for a lot of reasons but i think she's introduced as being 18 but the way she views and sees the world is very is a lot younger right than that and just her her logic and her her little spells that she does that she thinks like i don't know there's just so much going on in that character and that book and i absolutely adore shirley jackson i almost picked hangsman for the episode um mm. i actually it's one i haven't read i, I need to read that one it's like it's tough to talk about because it's like not not a lot happens, but honestly, just anything Shirley Jackson writes, I'm there for. Great peg, um, yeah, definitely unreliable narrator. Just yeah, if, if listeners, if you have not read, we have always lived in the castle. You absolutely need to yes, change that. Please do. We have always lived in the castle. Haunting of Hill House is great. It is a fantastic masterpiece. But don't forget, we have always lived in the castle. Yeah, don't forget, absolutely. <laughs> Moving on to our next uh, section of the podcast, I always ask guests for a chilling obsession or just something that they've been enjoying in horror lately. So, I mean, I wouldn't call it an obsession, but I've, I've enjoyed the season of Stranger Things, uh, you know, mainly because, you know, my daughter is totally into it. And everyone loves Eddie Munson, I think, for good reason. For, for me, someone of that age, whether Eddie Munson's around, it was like watching a memory of, of some people I knew. It was just even like how frenetic kinetic he was in moving but i'd say my book obsession and again it's a little bit unfair to you readers out there because you won't be able to read it for a while but uh i got to read an early copy of mariana enriquez's our share of night um i don't know like well it'd be interested what what you say like you know we get to a certain age as an adult you kind of feel like oh my top five novels like is that's like set in stone like i've already read my favorite things um but this book is one of my top five favorite novels like I've ever read. And I was just so excited by that fact that, you know, I could be as old as I am, age redacted, age redacted <laughs> and think, oh, you know, I still read like something that's like a favorite novel. Uh, it's this big, sprawling 700 page epic. Uh, she's an Argentinian writer, 
So it's set in Argentina, mainly in the 80s, but it bounces a little bit to the 70s and 90s. And some of the political backdrop is uh, the what's called the Dirty War, which you know I didn't really know a ton about until I read the book. And it's not really about that. That's all on the outskirts, but you know, uh, dictators and people disappearing because of you know because of you know their political sort of leanings. Um, but really, the main story is about this uh, family, this old family that's a part of a cult called the Order. Um, and yeah, so so you know, some of the family members are like some of the most like creepy villains I've ever encountered. But this, you know, so a lot of the time they're sort of on the background too. The novel opens with a father and his son. The father sort of married into the this order culty family, uh, but he has some sort of unique supernatural sort of power kind of stuff. And I don't want to spoil it too much. And the order wants to use him, and he spends time trying to protect his son because he knows they're going to want to use him. And then in a later part. It's about the son living older, like with a dad who's, you know, sort of ill, but I'm doing a terrible job explaining it. But like so much of the book is just about these characters and how they interconnect uh, between the generations. And so for like a lot of pages, it's like, wow, it's just like this really beautiful, literate story about these people. And then there are these unbelievably disturbing, frightening set pieces. (laughs) Um, Just amazing. And the publisher describes it as Roberto Bolaño meets Stephen King, which I think is fairly apt, but I would say it's more like, I don't know, Bolaño meets like the cosmic horror of like John Lang or Laird Barron or something like that. But really, I mean, Mariana is her own writer. I think she's the best horror writer working today. Her short story collection, Things We Lost in the Fire, is one of my favorite books of the last decade. So if you haven't read her at all, go back and read that collection and then be ready for the novel. I think it's going to be in February. Yeah, I had no idea she had a novel coming out. So this is... yeah news to me yeah i learned about the dirty wars from things we lost in the fire that was the first uh i came in i came in contact with it and that is very exciting i still have to read her her other short story collection was it the dangers of smoking, smoking in bed, bed yes but, yeah yeah i think that was published in argentina before things we lost in the fire but i mean okay. it's quite it's very good um definitely read that too <laughs> but yeah the novel is something else it's an achievement what is it called it's called our share of night oh okay I will keep an eye out for that when it comes out. All right. And then our last tradition that we do on the podcast is we ask all our guests for a final girl song. I have a playlist uh, with everyone's picks for what their final girl song would be. Oh, uh, well, I'm going to sort of take it somewhat literally. Um, and because I, I just listened to the song yesterday on a drive home, but uh, PJ, PJ Harvey's Me Jane. Okay. I don't know that I know that one. What are the vibes? Well, uh, so like part of the lyrics is she's Jane screaming at Tarzan. I mean, it's a very okay. you know, powerful feminist statement of a song. And yeah, it's really, really good. All right. Well, I will be adding it to the list. And also, yeah, I mean, music is a huge part of the Paul Bearers Club, too. Yeah, I definitely let myself sort of geek out about music. <laughs> you know, all the all the chap. So one of my favorite bands is a band from the 80s called Husker Du. Uh, and there were two main songwriters, part of Husker Du, and one of them, Bob Mould, went on to form other bands, and he does a lot of solo stuff too. So it's really my love of Bob and Husker Du sort of, you know, gets to be rolled into that <laughs> to that book, uh, which scratched an itch I've had for a while. <laughs> that is fun. I, I'm sure that is fun to get to do that as a writer and get to just like indulge. Yeah, I mean, well, and part of it is like music was always my first love and it still often inspires a lot of my writing. So I'm glad it worked for the story. Like I just didn't want to put it in there just for random stuff. Like it, you know, it's, it's an important part of art's character, his sort of 
what he tries to achieve in adulthood or semi-adulthood because I don't think he ever becomes a full adult <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me today about uh, Unreliable Narrators and the Paul Bearers Club. No, oh, thank you, Stephanie. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed me and Holly, the occasional Holly Bark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> She's the star of the house, so we, you know, she can't be ignored. <laughs> Listeners know the Paul Bears Club is already out and available for you to go read in whatever format, audio, ebook, buy it all. Thank you again. And where can people find you online? Uh, so, well, my website is www.paultremblay.net. And on that, I actually have a free sign up for a newsletter. Um, I'm usually like once a month, but I've been doing it a little bit more frequently just with the book out now. But I'll probably go back to once a month in the fall. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Paul G. Tremblay, also on Instagram at Paul G. Tremblay, where you'll see lots of pictures of Holly, not barking. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much again. All right. Thank you. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, on TikTok at Books in the Freezer, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer, or you can send us an email at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. If you're looking for ways to support the podcast, there are a few ways to do that. One of them is to become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash books in the freezer. There are three tiers, a one, three, and a five dollar tier with all kinds of perks at each level, going from bonus episodes, early release episodes, group chats, movie nights. So check that out if that sounds interesting to you. You can also use the Amazon link that is in the show notes for this episode and all previous episodes. Just click on the link. It takes you right to Amazon and you do normal shopping that you would normally do. A small percentage of that goes to help the podcast. Recently, someone purchased a utility knife. Looks like someone got an over-the-door shoe organizer. Like, you know, it's Amazon. So thank you to those of you who have used the link for your shopping. Now, yes, there are ways you can show your support for the podcast that do not involve spending any money. And one of them is to leave a review on a site like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. On Apple Podcasts, I think you do need to write a few words with what you think of the podcast along with a star rating. I mean, ideally, a five star would be lovely. Um, on Spotify, I don't think you need to write anything. I think you just leave a star rating. So that one is, you know, a quick, easy way to show your support. Um, you can also share us with your people. Share the podcast on Instagram, on Twitter. Tell people about us. You know, this is a small, you know, one-person indie show. And you know how it grows? Word of mouth. So thank you to all of you who have taken the time to do that. I appreciate it. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. And on Instagram as That's What She Read. And that's That's with two A's. So see you next time on Books in the Freezer. Books in the Freezer.